I, I will remind you of part of the reading that Sarah did for you earlier from Romans chapter 12. We'll talk about more of it a bit later, but the key part, of course, is the beginning part of verse 2, Romans chapter 12. St. Paul writes, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. On the basis of these words of Scripture and in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in whom we live and move and have our being, my brothers and sisters in Christ. For the last six weeks, we've been talking about prayers, dangerous prayers. Dangerous because we are asking God to come into our lives and make a difference. So many of our prayers are us dictating to God when we want something, how we want it done, why it should be, and we kind of lay it all out. We are asking God here to come to us and have his way with us, to make a difference. And this one takes just a little bit of a step beyond that because it's not just asking him to come and make a difference. It's asking God to come and make us different, to change us, to transform us to remake or remodel us. As I thought about talking about transformation, I and read the text that is before us, I thought about two, uh, what I would call societal phenomena. One is our desire and the pressure to conform to be like everybody else, to keep up with the Joneses. The modern version of that is that we should be politically correct. Don't say or do anything that will offend anyone. Now on the surface, that sounds kind of good. It sounds like the right thing to do. But as we think about it more, we realize that to be politically correct means to sacrifice our principles and our beliefs. But the desire to conform is strong. Now, the other societal phenomena that I see is, you might say, the opposite, and that is, I want to transform myself. Now, for a lot of people, that means I want to be younger, I want to be thinner, I want to be stronger, I want to be better at this or that, but that's not what I'm talking about so much. I'm thinking of people that want to stand out in the crowd that want to look different to, I guess the modern way of saying it would be, to express my individuality. The example that came to my mind um, 
because I was trying not to use an example that would offend anybody too badly, <laughs> was, uh, goes back many years, so many of you are too young to remember the um, hippie flower children movement of the 60s. They wanted to be nonconformists. They didn't want to follow the patterns and ways of society. And if you look at pictures of them, they all look the same. They all dressed alike. They all forgot that there were barbers. They all put flower decals on their VW bus. And I know I'm oversimplifying and generalizing, but that gets to my point that a, a, a trend will start, a few people will do something that seems at first, at least to old people like me, kind of outlandish, and then pretty soon everybody's doing it because even though they're trying to stand out, the desire to conform is so strong. And I say all this because then we get to our text where St. Paul says, don't conform. This is the opposite of how we feel and how we act in our society. Don't conform. The next two words are the key. Be transformed. Notice that little word, B-E, be transformed. It's not transform yourself. It's let God do it. Be transformed. God is the only one that can transform us. We can make as many cosmetic changes as we want. We can read as many how-to, self-help, self-improvement books as we want. We can make ourselves look different than everybody else, but we're still the same in here. And the only one that can do anything about that is God. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, Paul says. He doesn't say that in isolation. He says that as a result of what he's already telling us in this letter to the Romans. I will confess as I continue here that the book of Romans is my favorite book in all of scripture. My wife would tell you very quickly, oh, he's got all sorts of favorites, and that's true. But this is my favorite favorite. And I love this book because of how Paul lays out the life of faith for us. I think he's doing it because, some say it's kind of an ulterior motive, he wants to go on to Spain. He wants to preach to, in Spain. And so he's asking the Roman Christians to kind of help him on his way to Spain. And so he lays out for them. This is my message. When I'm teaching this book when I, in a Bible class, I like to point out that there are what I call three great therefores. There are a lot of therefores. Paul will say therefore quite often. And you know the old Bible question. Whenever you see a therefore, you ask yourself, what is the therefore, therefore? <laughs> and Paul uses that a lot, but he uses it 
three special times in this book. The first one is in chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are justified by faith. He doesn't just make that statement out of the blue. He's been talking about this for the first four chapters. In the first couple chapters, he almost painfully beats us over the head with the law. So that in chapter 3, verse 21, I think it is, he can say very clear, no, it's chapter verse 23, he can say, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. Doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, what you are in life, everybody is a sinner. But all of that has set the stage so that he can tell us the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. What he has done for us in his life and his death and his resurrection. So he builds to that and can say then in chapter 5 verse 1, we are justified by faith. And then he continues to build on that. Chapter 7, he talks about how even though he's justified by faith, he's still struggling with sin. Is there anyone in the room that's not? He's still struggling with that. So then he gets to chapter 8, and he says, second great therefore, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, we're justified by faith, but we still sin. We sin every day. But there's no condemnation when you have faith in Jesus Christ. None at all. And then he continues to build on that. And finally, as he finishes that kind of doctrinal part, he gets to chapter 12. And now comes the practical part. Therefore, verse 1, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, do you see that? In view of God's mercy, looking back to everything we've talked about, justified by faith, no condemnation, all of this through faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, now that you recognize what God has done for you, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. That's an oxymoron. Sacrifice, by definition, means something dies. He says, elsewhere, by the way, he says, we've already died with Christ in baptism. But so he says, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, ongoing sacrifice. And what is that sacrifice? Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Give up that desire. Don't give in to that pressure, but be transformed. And again, only God can do that, and he does that 
through the life and death and resurrection of Christ. Romans 6, we are buried, therefore, with baptism into Christ, that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might live a new life. He does that by the power of the Holy Spirit, who works in us through word and sacrament to strengthen us, to build us up. He remodels us, reforms us. When I see a house that looks like it's falling apart, derelict, I think, as I heard somebody say this morning, should just bulldoze it. There are people that are skilled designers and builders and architects. A friend of mine would look at a house like that and say, ah, but it's got good bones. I can salvage it. And I love that word salvage because, see, it has the same root word as salvation. And that's what God has done for you. He has picked you out of the junk pile. He has picked you when you were falling apart in your sinfulness. And he's washed you off in the waters of holy baptism and cleansed you and renewed you and restored you, remodeled you, made you what you are, called you from being a sinner, transformed you into a saint, called you, made you from being an enemy of God to being his own dear child and an heir of everlasting life. But it's an ongoing process. Even that house that has been beautifully remodeled and restored is going to soon need another coat of paint. Something's going to go wrong and need to be fixed. It has to happen over and over again. It continues. And so with us as well, it's an ongoing process. And it goes on and on and on. Uh, back in the 90s, a man named Robert Fulham wrote a book called All I Ever Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And a lot of Christians would like to say, all I ever needed to know I learned in Sunday school. Or all I ever needed to know I learned in confirmation class. I don't need that anymore. Yeah, we do. Stopping there would be like somebody building the, laying the foundation of one of those skyscrapers downtown Chicago. You've seen them do it. All the pilings and the steel and the cement, all that they do, and they're building that, building that foundation, and then stopping? No, they build story upon story upon story until it figuratively reaches the sky. 
And that's how it is with us. God has laid the foundation yeah, through Sunday school, through confirmation class, through the Bible stories our parents have shared with us. And he keeps building story upon story, like stories from the scripture, like Zacchaeus. When we see how God's word, how the word of Jesus to Zacchaeus transformed him, made him react and respond. Or we look at so many other stories of characters in the scripture. I love the fact that all of them are flawed. Because if they weren't, if they, all the characters in the Bible were perfect people, then there would be no place in God's family for me. But they're all flawed, and we see how God transforms them, uses them despite their flaws, builds them, and these inspire us, story upon story. People that have inspired you in your life. I think of, I'll start with that, my grandma and the inspiration she was to me. I think of C.S. Lewis and some of the books that he's written. Or I was thinking, too, about my seventh and eighth grade teacher and the inspirations he was, story upon story. And then in our own life, what are the stories that you can tell about when you saw the hand of God in your life and something that happened. Maybe it was even something difficult or painful, and yet you see how God was there and how God led you and guided you and how God changed you and how you came out better on the other side. God sightings, if you will, story upon story, until we literally reach the sky. And there we'll be transformed forever. But until then, we continue to pray. Transform me, Lord. Mold me into what you want me to be. Help me to be that living sacrifice in the lives of others. Make me what you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen.